This episode of the Grow From Your Heart podcast is brought to you by my friends at SeedsHereNow.com. SeedsHereNow.com offers seeds from all of the industry's leading breeders and is the only official home of Swamp Boys Genetics. Everything at SeedsHereNow.com is backed by an award-winning satisfaction guarantee. And for my friends on a tight budget, SeedsHereNow.com offers several packs for under $30 as well as amazing monthly sales. Make sure to use coupon code GFYH10 while checking out to save a few bucks. Again, that is coupon code GFYH10 while checking out at SeedsHereNow.com. Yeah, welcome back, podcast world. I'm your host, my friends call me Rasta Jeff, and this is episode 674 of the Grow From Your Heart podcast. In this episode, I'm going to talk about a couple of seasonal grow room adjustments. Before we get to that part of the show, let's do a few shout outs to a few of the great folks who support the show on Patreon. Let's start off with a big Grow From Your Heart podcast. Thank you. Shout out to my new friend, Polo Paul. Let's send a thank you shout out to Grow Bandit and Kojax. Let's send a thank you shout out to my friend Kess Burton. I want to send a big thank you shout out and a fist bump to Sam Heads. Let's send a thank you shout out to Spherical Glassworks. I want to send a thank you shout out to G7 and Green Vet 88225. Let's send a special thank you shout out to New Old Guy. I want to send a thank you shout out to Josiah W. Then let's wrap it all up with the big Grow From Your Heart podcast. Thank you shout out to my friends at Fiscals Organics. Big thanks and big shout out to everybody who continues to support the show on Patreon. If you are not already supporting the show and you would like to learn how to do so, all you have to do is visit www.patreon.com forward slash grow from your heart. All of the information you need is right there on the screen and you know I do put a link in the show notes and the video description to make it nice and easy for all of my friends. This is the part of the podcast where I cordially invite you to the Discord server. That's right. We've got approximately 1,400 people hanging out on the Discord server. I talk about it on every episode. It's a good time. It's a great place to be. Once again, I invite you to join us on the Grow From Your Heart podcast, iRegenetics Discord server. Again, there's a link in the show notes and the video description, and I will pop the link up on the screen right here. That link won't count. You can't click on it, but you can read that. Type that into your browser. Join us on Discord. I think you will have a good time there. Big shout out to all of my friends over there on the Discord server right now. All right, let's jump right into it, ladies and gentlemen. I did say we were going to talk about some seasonal adjustments here. I am in Southern Colorado. It's not quite cold yet, but I do know that hoodie season is soon approaching. That's right. It's going to be fall here very soon. I'm surprised I haven't busted out the hoodie yet but I want to be prepared. So we're going to talk about this episode right now. We need to get ahead of the game. We don't need to have our equipment in the garage, dusty, dirty, under a tarp. Maybe you need to order it from Amazon. Maybe need to figure that shit out. We don't need to be delayed on having equipment. We need to be ahead of the game for seasonal changes. That is something that is very important. Uh, The bigger the grow gets, the more important that is. It's very easy to change the environment, adjust the uh, conditions in a smaller room. Once you start going four, six, 
15, 20, 50, 100 lights, it gets increasingly more challenging to control the room, control the space, adjust to the outside environment. Last year in Colorado, we had a day where it was negative 17 degrees. It's one of the coldest weekends I've ever experienced that I can remember in my adult life. Absolutely one of the coldest experiences I can remember in my growing career. I do think I saw negative 24 at one point in my life. That negative 17 really put some stress on my grow space. So we need to be prepared for things like negative 17 coming up pretty soon here. The uh, conditions, the environment, the temperature changes rapidly. So I, in Colorado, need to get my shit together and need to get my gear prepared, get a strategy in place, start thinking about what I'm going to do. What type of seasonal changes are coming in your location? You may be listening anywhere on the planet. Big shout out wherever you are. But think about the changes that are coming. Is it going to get colder? Is it going to get hotter? Will it be more humid? Will it get drier? What do you need to do to adjust your growth to set yourself up for success? That's one of my main goals of this podcast. My goal is to help you set yourself up for success. I've had a lot of trial and error. I've had a lot of experience. I want to take a lot of that experience and cut out a lot of bullshit get you right to the point, set you up for success, tell you a lot of things will fail, try to show you the best way to do it. That is my main goal here. So let's focus in on a few of the adjustments that I feel like I need to make for my grow environment. I am currently going from a warm summer environment here in Colorado. We had 104 degree days. We had 108s. There might've been 112 in there. Uh, We had some super hot days here over the summer. So I have got LED lighting in my main flowering space right now. That's right. I've been using uh, Canon lighting from Black Sail Market. Big shout out to Black Sail Market. So over the summertime and over the springtime, I had great success with the Canon lighting from Black Sail Market. However, I know that in the wintertime, those lights will not keep my grow space warm enough. Those lights are great for when it is hot outside and I don't need warmth in my grow, but it is about to get really cold and I'm going to use my grow lights to heat my grow environment. Also, I'll use my grow lights to sort of heat part of my living space as well. The heat will get ducted into my living area. I will be heating up the grow space with the lights, exhausting that extra heat into my living room, and that way I don't have to turn on the heater as much. I'll try to use that electricity that I'm already running for the grow lights to efficiently heat my house. So that's one adjustment I will make. Uh, When it gets just a touch cooler, when I have a weekend available, I am going to take down all of my LED lighting and rehang my HPS lighting. That's right. I will have high pressure sodium lights for flower over the winter time. That's one thing that I definitely will change. Uh, There's nothing wrong with the Canon lights. Those Canon LEDs are amazing lights. They make beautiful plants. The plants grow with great vigor. In fact, I will leave the Canons in one area in a veg space because that area stays warmer just naturally and where the grow space is. But the flowering room does need to get changed. It's up against the exterior wall of the house. I will get much colder there. We're going to swap that out for HBSs. Nothing wrong with the Canons other than they don't make enough heat for the winter. So I'm going to hang a light that will make enough heat for the winter and use that gear to my advantage. Uh, why would I put up a heater uh, when I've got HPS lights? I could just throw those right up. That is my theory. If you have a heater, if you want to do it, do that. But I'm going to use the HPS lights because I've got them. And then I can duck that heat uh, that comes from those to another room as well, heat up part of the living space. That's the first 
major adjustment I will make is I will use the HPS lights to heat up part of the house and the grow space. So the way my grow is set up, once I change those lights, I will need to change my ducting. That will also change the way I set up my carbon filter. So we have caused a chain reaction of things to set up and change in the grow. That's a beautiful process. I think that resetting things up and rebuilding things gives me a good opportunity to clean things that I may not have cleaned, maintenance things that may not have gotten the maintenance they needed. Things are coming off of the ceiling. They'll be down on the floor. I can clean every inch of it before it goes back up. It'll go into summer storage. I'll wrap it up in plastic. I will clean it, then wrap it up into plastic, put it in summer storage. That way next summer when I need it or when the winter, when, whichever, when I need that gear again, it's clean. It's ready to rock. It's been cleaned up. I don't have to go polishing it, but now's a good time to clean everything up, give everything a good once over. I will probably repaint the walls while I'm in the process of rebuilding everything, but I will definitely do the different lighting and redo the ducting, which is going to lead me to redoing the exiting of the room where the air, the ducting goes out, which is going to lead to me repainting the entire room, which will probably lead to me redoing the flooring in the entire room. That uh, sounds like a task, but I love it. And it's like, a, it's like a trigger for good work to happen. A lot of these things probably needed to be done anyway. So this is a good time to do it. The seasonal change will trigger this. Now, things to think about. I said I'm going to change my ducting. Something to think about is the air that you are bringing into your grow. I don't know where the air is coming in from. I don't know if you've got an air conditioner. I don't know if you have a passive intake, an active intake. If we are bringing frosty cold air into our warm grow environment where we've got grow lights going and it's nice and warm in there, we're bringing basically icicles into the room. That creates condensation, moisture. What that really creates is opportunities for powdery mildew. We've already had enough powdery mildew in the warm season, in the spring and summer season. Let's get away from that for the winter. We've got such dry conditions. Let's avoid powdery mildew and use those dry conditions to our advantage. You can bring that outside air into your grow, but let's warm it up before it hits the grow environment. Maybe bring it into another room, warm it up, then shoot it into your grow space, something like that. But let's not shoot that frosty cold air directly into the grow, directly over the plants. If it's got to go directly into the room, if you don't have any other way to do it, run some ducting to where it goes somewhere else further from the plants, then it warms up a little bit before it actually makes it to the plants. That's a good thing to think about. Um, is the water which you are feeding these plants, where does the water come from? Is it super cold? If I turn on the water outside in the middle of winter, that water is super cold. I wouldn't want to put that water on my plants. If I get water from one spot in my house, it is super cold. If I get water from the kitchen, it's nice and room temperature. Don't feed your plants really cold water. Think of it like this. If you wouldn't put your feet in there, don't feed it to your plants. Your plants can't walk away. Your plants can't pull their feet out. The plants can't say, ah, shit, that's cold. I need to get out of the water. They're stuck there. You're torturing them. Don't do that. Don't feed them super cold water. Get that water warmed up. At least 69, 70 degrees should be ideal for a soilless soil cocoa sort of a grow. If you're growing hydro, whole nother ball game, do your thing. You guys like to adjust your temperatures accordingly to avoid the mildew. I'm not an expert in that area. I'm talking about something with uh, soil, soilless mix, cocoa, something like that. So uh, don't feed too cold of water. It will shock your roots. Be cool with that, especially if it gets real cold outside. All right, another thing that people often overlook when it gets cold, how cold is the floor in your grow space? I talked a minute ago about putting cold water on your feet. Can you walk around in the grow space barefoot and your feet not be too cold? It's not a good idea to walk around the grow space barefoot. Let's talk about why. I've got one solid reason why I think it's not a good idea to walk around the grow space barefoot. 
if and when we apply pesticides. I apply pesticides on a routine basis in my garden. Uh, I apply spray pesticides. I also spray uh, foliar feeds, which we may talk about more on this episode. I apply a lot of things to that grow. I feed the plants. Uh, A lot of shit ends up on that floor. Pesticides, grow nutrients. A lot of stuff is on that floor. I do my best to keep it clean. I mop it. I clean it. I sweep it. But there is stuff on that floor. You shouldn't be in there barefoot because the bottoms of your feet are part of the uh, one of the most absorbent parts of your body for chemicals, toxins, contaminants. You can suck up pesticides through the bottoms of your feet quite quickly. So technically, maybe you shouldn't be in there barefoot. Also, protect your toes. Uh, what kind of hippie are you in there barefoot anyway? If that's your style, be that way, bro. But uh, it's risky. It's dangerous. So um, walk around. See if the floor is cold. That's the main point. Is it cold on your feet? Uh, if it's cold on your feet, get the plants up off of the floor. It's okay to have a cold grow room floor, but raise the plants up off of it. Maybe just put them on a cinder block. Maybe a very affordable way to get the plants up off the floor is to flip another pot upside down and set the pot right on that pot. Just you got one upside down, another pot on another pot. Now you're that pot height taller and off the ground. Uh, Sometimes that's not the best because it gets you too close to the light. Sometimes if I got a plant that's not growing tall enough, that's how I get the fucker closer to the light and adjust that plant to match the rest of the canopy. But uh, get them up off the floor, flip a pot upside down, uh, use some cinder blocks, build a table, get those plants off the floor because it is probably quite cold. So think about the air coming in, think about the cold water, and think about that cold intake. Cold floor, cold water, cold intake, it is all going to happen very soon. Um, we don't want to freeze out these plants. Try to use that cold air to your advantage, uh, but not. don't blast the plants, don't cause any frostbite. Set yourself up for success. You guys, this time of the year is coming. Uh, Maybe time to turn off some things, turn on some other things. I don't know your full grow environment. I don't have your pulse monitor. I don't know what your uh, minder unit is telling you. Pay attention to that and make the adjustments, but I'm giving you a heads up the best I can. Now is the time to start thinking about the equipment for the seasonal changes. Set yourself up for success. Don't say, I can go buy that in two weeks because everybody's going to go to the grocery store and buy that in two weeks and it's going to be gone, sold out, especially during these weird times. It takes a really long time for shit to get replenished, reshipped, and restocked. Get ahead of the game. Go get that shit now, especially if it's in the budget. If it's in the budget, why are you fucking around? Go get it. Uh, Go get it before it goes in demand because once it goes in high demand, they'll raise the price on you. It's not going to go on sale when people need more of it. That is not the way this industry works. Come on, go get the shit you need now. Be prepared. Uh, Do all of the shit today that you can do today. If there is work that can happen in the grow room, this is a side rant. This is just some Rasta Jeff advice here. Uh, If there is work that can be done in the grow room today or tomorrow, and you've got time, energy, equipment, and electricity still to do it, if the lights are on and uh, if you're not getting too much overtime and the boss isn't going to get on your ass, get in there and do that stuff because tomorrow there's going to be more shit to do. There may be some new shit to do that you didn't know. There's especially in a commercial environment. You guys, I am very experienced in working in large commercial grows. The thing I train people when I teach them how to operate in a new grow, I say the first thing we do is we walk in and we find out what went wrong last night because in a hundred, in a hundred flowering light environment, you've got a hundred flowering lights, somewhere between 30 and 60 vegetative lights. You've got clones, clone trays, hydro pumps, fans, air conditioners, uh, CO2 machines, computers, all kinds of shit in a big facility. The first thing we need to do when we walk in is find out what went wrong last 
night. So if there's some stuff that you can get done today, go ahead and do that stuff because I don't know what your surprises are going to be tomorrow. You could have a five-minute surprise. You could, and I hope this doesn't happen, you could kick over a bucket, take you 15, 20 minutes to mop that bucket up. You got to go smoke a dab, get your shit back together and regroup. Uh, maybe that's a 30-minute fucking waste of your day that you didn't see coming. Or maybe, just maybe, I don't even want to jinx you, maybe something catastrophic goes wrong in the grove and you don't get any of your side work done. You don't get any of your main work done. Now your side work, main work, and tomorrow's work is already fucked up. Set yourself up for success. Get as much done today as you can. I understand we've got families, we've got kids, we've got dogs we want to run around with. Uh, we got reggae shows we want to go see. You guys, I saw the most amazing reggae show tonight, today, earlier today. It was so good. It was tonight. It's kind of late now that I'm recording, but the vibes were high. I had to do something. Uh, we got stuff we want to do in our lives, but try to knock out those garden chores. If you've got a small grow, it really can't take that long. If you've got a big grow, uh, then you ask for it. Get in there and do the work. I know what my job is. I know how long it should take. I know how much to allow myself, and I also know that shit happens, surprises come up, things go wrong. Uh, it's Murphy's Law. What can go wrong fucking will, and be prepared for that. It's how you react, respond, and adjust to those things that make you a good grower. But if you're prepared, those things are much easier to deal with. All right, I'm fucking rambling. Set yourself up for success, you guys. That's the bottom line here. I want you to succeed. As much as you want to be successful, I really want you to be successful. I don't want you to go buy all this gear, set up all this stuff, uh, send me money on Patreon, buy expensive seeds, and then not have a fruitful harvest. That's going to make me feel bad, especially if you bought my seeds and listened to my show and still didn't succeed. I feel like I kind of guided you and you didn't get there. So I want us to get there together. I want you to feel that pride that I feel when I harvest some plants. All right. Stoned and rambly, I'm telling you, the reggae vibes are high tonight. Um, I do have a Patreon question here in front of me. Let's get this one Patreon question going. This one came from my buddy Cincy Nasty. What's up, bro? Thank you for the great message. I uh, sent me a lot of great stuff on Patreon. Finally, one of them has made it to the podcast. This one from my buddy Cincy goes a lot like this. Uh, it says, your silver thiosulfate blend is working. Bland. I said bland. It doesn't say bland here. It says, let me try it in this camera. Maybe this camera will get it right. Your silver thiosulfate blend is working amazingly on my auto flower project. So a few episodes back, quite a few episodes back, I gave an explanation on how to make silver thiosulfate to use for reversing plants to make feminized seeds. Our friend Cincy Nasty here has used my recipe to make some Autoflower feminized seeds, which is a great thing. I don't make autoflower, so I'm glad somebody else is out there doing it. It said, I have followed your instructions to a T, and I'm getting a pretty decent amount of pollen. That is great to hear because sometimes the recipe will take some adjustment. The first time you make that mix, it might not be strong enough to reverse the plant. It might be so strong it burns the plant. Uh, the spray schedule may need to be more frequently, less frequently. It might burn. It might not do anything to the plant. There are adjustments to be made per plant here. So I'm glad that it worked for you on the first try. Uh, that gives me confidence that my mixture is working. It's very universal, versatile, uh, and it worked on your stuff. That feels good. So it says big up for sharing that. It saved us a ton of money and I'm not even close to using up the first batch. Yes, silver thiosulfate, or at least the components to make such are very affordable. When I see people selling products to reverse plants and I see companies selling silver thiosulfate for exorbitant amounts, it drives me a little bit crazy because you can make hundreds of gallons 
for like 30 bucks, hundreds of gallons for maybe 30 bucks. And most of that 30 is probably going to be shipping. Uh, the two products you need are very affordable, uh, 10 bucks per bottle, 10 bucks for shipping. And then you need a gallon of uh, distilled water every time you do it. And that'll make enough to reverse a plant. And you got it covered. That's really affordable in my opinion. Uh, so when I see the people charging too much, uh, it drives me crazy. That's just price gouging. That's stabbing at the community. Uh, that, that shouldn't be a thing. We should be able to have access to the products which we need. So there you go. Make your own silver thiosulfate much more cost-effective. There is more. It says, uh, this is kind of a breeding and market question. This is sort of a sales question, a business question. I really do like this. this is a, I'm a great person to ask this, I would say. Uh, it says, knowing that the market is driving femme and autoflower seeds, as a breeder trying to serve the market, does it make sense to search for elite females more than trying out different males? So there's a couple things to talk about in that one sentence there, in that one statement. Uh, knowing that the market is driving on fems and autos, yes, uh, the market loves feminized seeds. More than half of what I sell would be fem seeds if I could make more fems. I can't keep up. I don't make enough fems. I make a lot of regular seeds. Uh, we're going to talk about that in a minute. They're honestly easier. You get more pollen from a regular plant. You don't have to reverse it. Reversing is science. You have to learn each plant. It takes a little more effort, time, energy, space, work. Um, so the market is after fems and autos. That is very true. But there are a lot of people who will not grow feminized seeds. There are a lot of people who will not grow autoflower seeds. There are large portions of the cannabis community who are opposed to both of those. I'm not bashing those products. I have no uh, nothing against autoflowers, uh, especially against feminized seeds, but a lot of people will not grow them. A lot of people feel that feminized seeds are doing something wrong to the gene pool. Uh, a lot of people um, just simply won't grow those seeds. I was going to talk about a certain group and why, but we don't need to go down that path today. Let's keep me a little bit focused. A lot of people do want the reg seeds. A lot of people want the fems. A lot of people want the autoflowers. I see that there's a market for all of that. Let me follow up. It says, as a breeder trying to serve the market, does it make more sense to search for elite females more than trying out different males? Um, you have to do both. As a breeder who wants to be, uh, what's the word? Um relevant in the market, uh, that wants to be on top of the market, that wants customers, you have to do both. You have to have solid, a solid male plant at least. The male plant is kind of what sets you apart. Everybody's got the females. Everybody's growing the females. The entire community is growing the females. We see those in large numbers. It's the breeders who are seeking out the elite males that do the work to make new things. So we've got to find both. We've got to find the males that will contribute to the gene pool and move the cannabis plants forward for our purpose, whether my purpose is usually uh, producing high-yielding plants with a lot of terps and very high THC potency. That is my thing. That's because that's what I enjoy. And I feel like since I make a product that I enjoy, I am successful because I'm doing it with my heart for myself and other people like it. It's like a good musician. Uh, if your favorite musician wrote songs for some girl, those songs are going to suck. But if your favorite musician writes songs for themselves, they're going to be great songs and that girl will love it and so will you. I think that's why my brand works. I make a product that I feel is up to my standards, up to what I like, and you guys happen to like it also because I've got high standards and I know what, to, uh, what people want and what to expect and what to look for in quality cannabis. So um, a lot of it is finding that male. 
A lot of it is finding the boy. A lot of my company is based on King Solomon. You mentioned Solomon later in this message. Solomon is the stud. It took me a lot of searching, a lot of hunting to find Solomon. First, I had the plant. I had to find the plant that fit the criteria which I was looking for. I had a list. I'm kind of an OCD guy. I write lists on paper. It had to have all of these traits. And once I found a plant, a few plants with all of those traits, we bred with them. Then we grew out those seeds and we had to see what that male plant was doing to the seeds. So that's how I found Solomon. That's why Solomon stands out. That's why my company stands out because of that elite male. Now, the other half of the equation, you do have to have those elite females. Having a stud and a bunch of half-assed females to breed with won't do it. You have to make solid female selections. Now, I said before, the entire community has got females. They're all female hunting female plants. So we've got the beautiful advantage of I can grow the plants and I can find my own females or We've got a squad of people out there buying seeds, getting free seeds, growing seeds, trading seeds, and they find good keepers, and somehow they end up back in my garden, and I can breed with those elite females as well. So the question is, uh, does it make sense to search for elite females more than trying out different males? As a breeder who makes a lot of regular seeds, I need to have solid males in my garden, and I have to have a revolving stable of quality females. I try to keep a couple, I'm limited on numbers. So I keep a percentage of my numbers for a male plant, a percentage for solid keeper females, and then a percentage of my numbers go for rotating plants, something that's going to come and go. Like I usually have a list of this many. And when I get a new plant, I go, where does it fit in the list? Who's got to go? And the one on the bottom of the list, that plant gets kicked out and the new ones come in. So uh, if I were to only make feminized seeds, then I wouldn't even worry about boys and we would be searching for the best females all the time. And I would just breed stuff and find, I would grow it first, which I normally do. And I would find the winners out of there. And then I would send out the seeds and let you guys grow it next. But I would be one or two steps ahead of you breeding with the new shit that you don't have yet so that I'm ahead of everybody just a couple of steps, which is honestly kind of what I do with my own line anyway. Uh, But if I were only to make femmes, yeah, we would be searching out a bunch of badass females and then just breed each female to every female. If I had a list of six girls, I'd take number one and pollinate everybody else with it. And then we'd take number two and pollinate everybody else. And take number three, pollinate everybody else. Just reverse that plant, pollinate everybody with it is what we would have to do. But I like making reg seeds. I really like, uh, I like breeding. I like watching what the boy does to the plants, to the mix, to the recipe. I kind of like that part. So I like the boys in the mix. I love feminized seeds also, but there's just something about a male-female cross. Being a breeder, being somebody who's uh, deeply curious and passionate about genetics and breeding, that boy plant means a lot to me. So you have to have both. Uh, The males are what separate us from each other. We, Our male is kind of like our style. It's like our calling card. It's our flavor. Uh, It's our our catchphrase or whatever you want to say. It's what, yeah, that's the male is what does it. Uh, And one male can do a lot of work, just like a reversed female can do a lot of work. But if you've got nine females in the room, you pollinate all nine of those females from that one male and make nine crosses from one dude. Uh, sometimes that's how I do it with King Solomon. I'll put him in the room with just the whole stable of ladies and let him go buck wild. He may be in a greenhouse right now getting frisky with like 12 beautiful ladies. So he's got a hot, hot fucking weekend. All right, let me keep moving because I am kind of rambly. Where are we? Um, it goes on. I have to find my place. Furthermore, it says, furthermore, Knowing that the market doesn't want male plants or most of the market, would it make sense for breeders to start charging more, not less, for regular seed 
production. Um, it is common. I said common. I'm going to put the bunch of C's across the screen again. It is common that uh, feminized seeds are usually double the price of regular seeds. If you look at my website, if you look at most of my seed vendors, a regular pack of seeds is 80 bucks. A feminized pack of seeds is 80 bucks. In the regular seeds, it's a 10 pack. In the fem seeds, it's a six pack. They're almost double the price. So um, that is because I said earlier, it takes more work, much more work in my opinion and in my experience to make a feminized seed. You've got to treat that uh, donor, the pollen donor plant. You've got to treat it. It's got to be treated with a specific way for about three or four weeks before you're going to make it a plant that will give you pollen. Then once it does reverse, sometimes they don't make very much pollen. Depending on how your recipe was, you've got to adjust the recipe, perfect that, dial that in. If you didn't get it right, you may have just done a full run and not produced enough pollen. You got a bunch of buds with very minimal seeds, kind of wasted a whole run there. So uh, you got to dial it in. You got to get it right. That's why fem seeds are more expensive and regular seeds are generally half the price. And then on top of that, uh, regular seeds are one price, fem seeds are double, and then autoflower fem seeds are double that price. So you're paying a lot more for your autoflowers. Let me keep reading because there is more to this. It says, it is an interesting thing to think about that. I see how much your Discord server loves King Solomon. Clearly, he is a beast. Yes, yes with King Solomon in the stable, it does make it hard to do any other work. Like, I just want to work with Solomon. Why not put Solomon pollen on every female cannabis plant in the world? Uh, Solomon is a stud. Everything he touches turns to fucking gold. It's amazing. So it makes it hard to do other projects. I did find a Jack the Ripper male that does amazing work. So I've been playing with him. And you know, I do love to cross a few, uh, reverse a few of those females I've got. But yes, uh, Solomon is a beast. He's a true stud. He's a winner. Um, it's, I put a lot of work, dedication, time, energy, and effort into finding that dude. So I'm glad it paid off. Uh, had to name him Solomon. If you understand anything about Solomon and why he's named Solomon, big up. Maybe you'll do some research now. There's a reason for that name. Then it says, what do you think? Uh, ben, I gave a lot of insight. I hope you know what I think by now. Then it says, lastly, I think you should redo and re-release a lot of your early grow instructions. There are a bunch of new people and way more podcast competition. Then he mentions this. Mentions, I said mentions is. He mentions some of my podcast competition. Let me say this. I don't feel that anybody out there podcasting is competition. We're all friends. We're all bros. We're all doing the same thing. We've got the same exact goal. Our goal is to make you a better grower, to give you better knowledge, to make you more comfortable in the grow room, more comfortable with your plants. I don't feel it uh, competitive, any competition. I see that word um, twice in this sentence here. So uh, no competition, dude. It's all love. It's all respect. But yes, there are so many more podcasts out there. Um, and now let's revisit the point of that sentence. Redoing and re-releasing uh, a lot of the old episodes. Uh, I would love to do that. I will work on doing that. But I get so many messages and questions that redoing stuff uh, sometimes is uh, it's on the back burner. Uh, keeping up with the current content, the current questions, that is important. Staying on top of the Patreon questions, those people do pay me to answer their questions. I feel like that is priority. I always print out the Patreon questions, bang those out first. Then I work my way to older questions, stuff that's just on my mind that I want to ramble about, stuff like that. So um, I will redo those episodes over time. I did the cloning episode. 
Uh, I did the bottom and lollipopping episode. Those were just kind of redos of episodes as well. Another thing you can do if you don't want to wait for the redos, you can always go back and listen to the old episodes. If you're an old listener, a new listener, if you've just discovered the podcast, please do feel free to dive into the old catalog of episodes. There's a lot of great knowledge. Uh, Go check out the way that the podcast has changed, uh, just grown over time. First, it was really scripted. I wrote down most of what I was going to say was on paper, and I would just read it and just fucking do the show like that. And then it got more comfortable. And then I hit my head. There's a chunk of episodes where I've got, I'm recovering and dealing with a traumatic brain injury and a lot of weirdness. Those episodes are really interesting to listen to. Uh, And then just over time, things change. And then we had uh, a pandemic, which taught me a lot about podcasting. And that's when I went to video. So go listen to the old stuff. That's what I'm saying. A lot of the lessons you're looking for, a lot of questions you guys might have may be hidden in those old episodes. And I will over time redo them. I'm slowly, they're slowly organically rehappening. The winter stuff I just talked about, uh, I'm sure I've said a lot of that in an old episode before. So a lot of it will get repeated, recycled. I felt kind of weird about doing repeats and recycled episodes, but a lot of people have asked the same questions. And I'm realizing that a lot of podcast listeners, you either do or you do not go listen to old episodes. If you listen to old episodes, you start at number one and you listen all the way up to the current or you just start where you are. That's kind of how podcast viewers and listeners are, two types of podcast viewers. I love you both. I got no judgment, but uh, they either go all the way back or they don't. So we got to redo a lot of stuff. Again, I do invite you to go to listen to that old shit. Bro, I am stoned and rambly. Let me wrap up this podcast while it still sounds good. Uh, Cincy Nasty. Cincy, thank you for the great message. Let me make sure I covered all the notes because I did abandon this one quite quickly. Yeah, bro, we covered all of this point, all of these points. Uh, you got to have a male and good females. Um, if you're just going to make fem seeds, then you don't have to worry about the boy, but you got to be certain that your pollen donors are tried, true, tested, and reliable. Um, I think I covered all that. I want to thank you for a great question, dude. Thank you for the continued Patreon support. You've been a Patreon supporter for a long time. You've sent me a lot of great content, a lot of great questions, a lot of good info. I do look forward to meeting you one day, shaking your hand and getting you so high you are uncomfortable. All right, ladies and gentlemen, boys, girls, pimps, hoes, friends, foes, smokers, growers, clone cutters, pollen chuckers, all of you beautiful people out there. I want to thank you once again for watching another episode of the Grow From Your Heart podcast. If you have any questions, corrections, comments, or concerns, you know I would love to hear from you. The email address is growfromyourheart at hotmail.com. Don't be shy. Send me some feedback. I will read that. Maybe I'll use it on the show, create some content out of that sort of stuff. Don't forget about the Patreon channel at patreon.com forward slash grow from your heart. Everything else you want to know is on the website at irigenetics.com. That's right. All things grow from your heart, all things Rasta Jeff, all things irigenetics. It is all right there at irigenetics.com. Now is the time when I ask you, please like and subscribe. Click like, click subscribe to the podcast. Click on that little notification bell. Every time I put out an episode, you'll get a notification. Never miss an episode. I'm trying to get the channel to 10,000 subscribers. We're getting close. Big thanks to everybody who subscribes to the YouTube channel. All right, everybody, that is all I've got for you for this episode. You know, I'll be back in a few days with fresh new content. I want to give a giant shout out to my buddy, Lemur Priest. And until next time, take a fat dab and give your mom a hug for me.